The following program contains scenes and language of a frank and explicit nature. Viewer discretion is advised. Hello and welcome to Film Jitsu, the podcast that wields films like deadly weapons. We are your hosts. I am Mike. I am Jay. That's right, folks. Film Jitsu is back. We've returned from beyond the grave. After eight years wasting away in the Phantom Zone, lost in the discount DVD bin of the internet, we are bringing this foolish podcast back. And I couldn't be more excited. Jason, does the world need another movie podcast with mediocre white men? giving opinions that no one asked for. Speak about yourself as being mediocre. I am a prime specimen of true, absolute, yeah, mediocre too. Yeah, I can't say yeah, anything Anybody else, who's so. listened to the show before this knows what my deal is, right? <laughs> so to our returning listeners, I hope this is exciting news. And for the film fiends out there tuning in for the first time, I guess I'll need to explain a little bit about what's going on as this is our first episode, but kind of not really. <laughs> Before we get into all of that, I'd like to introduce uh, you to my new co-host, one of my absolute favorite cinephiles, the guy who introduced me to Frankenhooker, the <laughs> butter to my popcorn, the ludicrous mustache to my Gene Shalit's stupid face. May I present to you, Mr. Jason Santo. I've always wanted to be Gene Shalit's mustache, and now I've achieved that goal here on Film Jitsu. I don't know where we can go from there, to be truthful. Uh, thanks, Mike, for the the really great introduction. It's super exciting to be here to uh, carry on with Film Jitsu, which was one of my favorite podcasts when it was on. Uh, so I'm super excited to be here. A little bit about myself. I'm a former filmmaker. I'm a writer. I'm a first-class cinephile, mostly of B-movies, I must say. That have... So a second class cinephile. That's... <laughs> okay. I'm right. a first class cinephile of second, third, and fourth <laughs> class style cinema. I love Z-grade film. I love to wield movies as deadly weapons. So I think I just was a natural uh, go-to for uh, co-hosting duties as you relaunch the podcast. So it's really exciting. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I mean, you were the first person I called that answered, so thank you very <laughs> yeah, much right. for, for being here. As returning listeners may know, Film Jitsu first began somewhere around 2010. It ran for approximately 100-ish episodes, I think maybe just a little short of that. And then we turned on the theater lights and started sweeping up the popcorn in 2012. We've been radio silent ever since then. You may recall that I had a different co-host back then that wasn't Jason. My co-host for the original run, John, was awesome. He brought a ton to the show. He was funny. He always came to the table with a ton of great background info on the movies. I think we had excellent chemistry. And I'm not too shy to say that I really think we made a great show at the time. I've reached out to John a couple of times over the years about rebooting Film Jitsu. Uh, he was never up for a reunion. Maybe at some point, Jason, you can try and talk John into joining us as a special guest host. I think that would be really cool. Uh, but for now, we're going to march forward. I think it's been too damn long. And frankly, the show is just too damn good to never take another swing at it. So I reached out to you. Uh, you'd sat in on our Halloween roundtable episodes during the original run. 
I asked you if you'd pick up the mantle of Film Jitsu co-host, and I'm thrilled that you said yes. I'm excited for your perspective. I think having somebody that's made film before is an exciting addition to the show. I'm really excited to make you watch some seriously shitty movies. <laughs> you think I haven't seen the worst of the worst, Mike? We'll just you're just gonna have to wait and see. But yeah, so I think this is great that we're finally making it official recording what we've been doing together for years anyway and having something to share with everybody else. I'm excited about the future of Film Jitsu. I'm thrilled that you're here. So Jason, with all that said, we're going to bid a fond farewell to the old show. It was good to us. We had some good times, but it's time to move on. What I want to know from you is what can our listeners expect now from Film Jitsu 2 Attack of the Clones? What I really want to do that's different than the previous incarnation of Film Jitsu is bring my background in filmmaking and actually understanding the making of films and what it takes to do every single role on a film because that's what I've done. Um, now, I want to be clear, none of the movies that I made were good. They were certainly used as weapons many a time, um, usually against me, but... <laughs> What I really want to do is bring more about how films are made, even when they're bad. And my hope is that as we move forward with the show, not only will we discuss movies that we have found that are rough to watch or whatever else, not only will we inflict great cinematic damage on one another, but also I'm hoping that we get to have conversations with people, some of whom may have been responsible for some filmic atrocities. I don't know exactly what that'll all take shape as. I think that the original format of the show was fantastic. So I think that the decision for us to continue with the overall format is great. I love the idea of bludgeoning you with an inch of your life with um, terrible editing, terrible acting, terrible scoring, terrible uh, screenwriting, terrible lighting, and and you've and. been doing it for years <laughs> right i've been doing it for years now i just get to tell the rest of the world about it and laugh at you when you go why bill hinsman why <laughs> so yeah this is basically this is a cry for help to people out there like i want everybody to know i'm not okay this is jason's been doing this to me for uh, well on a decade now Somebody, please, for the love of God, get me out of here, right? This is my message in a bottle to the rest of the world. You have been locked and, uh, in my basement for years. <laughs> really, I've been clone. sticking around for the root beer. It was That's what it's all about. It's just always been about the root beer. The former format of the show, of course, is one host dares the other host to watch a film. And then they do it and they review it. Then we talk about a theme out of that dare. And we choose a what's called a bottom five. We don't have a film. Either, neither one of us have bludgeoned each other for this particular show, but we decided that because it is a reboot, that we're going to go ahead and talk about the bottom five remakes or reboot. I think that we couldn't start the show without a bottom five list. For me, it's always <laughs> been my favorite part of the show. And even though this isn't an episode proper... right. I wanted to do more than just tell everybody we were coming back and then hang it up. I think we need to give everybody a taste of that film jitsu show, especially people that maybe hadn't listened to the old show. Part of me is excited to just get it over and done with. Yes. I suspect that shitty sequels are going to come up a lot <laughs> in our following episodes. So let's just rip the bandaid off and get it out of the way.
I would like to start with you as our new host. Uh, why don't you go ahead and start us off with your bottom five remakes and reboots? Sure. So the first thing that I want to say about remakes and reboots is I generally avoid them, especially the horror ones. I think I, I watched the Texas Chainsaw Massacre one and found that it was too effective for me. The screenwriting was too good. And so wow. I was actually like, I cared too much about the characters and thus the whole torture porny thing that was going on was right. too much for me and I couldn't couldn't get into it. But I must say, when I do watch them, more often than not, I stow the cynicism, which sure. I think is a really easy thing to do. And I think this is true, not just of reboots and remakes, but it's true of everything. It's, tr it's certainly true of sequels. It's true of whatever else. Recently, uh, a movie came out called Ghostbusters Afterlife, and a lot of critics are saying it's soulless, it's whatever, it's this, it's that. I think you can adopt that cynical layer. You can sit there and say, yeah, you know, um, absolutely. I know exactly what they're trying to do. They're manipulating people. They're giving them fan service. Or you can just go in and enjoy it because it's not that bad. You know, like, sure. wow, they're actually trying something a little bit different, but they're hearkening back to the things that we liked about another one. I really don't have trouble with that. I mean, that not that what Star Trek The Next Generation did? Isn't that what, you know, so many of them do? As a result, I like a lot of reboots and remakes that other people hate. And I wanted sure. to kind of get that out of the way right away. You know, I really identify with that because for me, I think one of the best things that has happened as I've matured as a cinephile is I've gotten past that thing where, oh, you're ruining my childhood. We heard a lot of that when the Ghostbusters movie Answer the Call came out in 2016. A lot of, oh, they're ruining my childhood. And there was a lot of stuff, obviously, baggage with that. I happen to like that film because I went in and watched it as a movie. And I really think the other films that you like are always going to exist. And a remake or a reboot or a sequel doesn't take that away. I find that to be kind of a juvenile reaction to that. Something that admittedly might have been my reaction in my younger years, but I've moved past that. So I can go and watch a new Ghostbusters movie, like it or not like it. And then when I go home... I can pop in the original Ghostbusters and that movie is the same as it's always been to me. Like you, remakes and reboots, I don't hate as a matter of course. Also like you, I found that I don't watch a lot of them. I don't know that that's intentional, but as I was racking my brain for reboots and remakes, I discovered that, geez, I know the list and I haven't watched a lot of those movies. I don't watch a ton of horror movie remakes. Horror is easily my favorite genre, but I don't tend to dip my toe in the water because I don't expect that I'll enjoy them. So I try something else. That being said, there are some really terrible ones <laughs> out there that I have spent time with. So why don't you kick us off with your number five? All right. Well, my number five, we're going to start with uh, Poltergeist from 2015. Uh, we just talked about how we didn't watch the horror ones. Well, Poltergeist is more of a haunted house, sort of a fun uh, scary movie from childhood. Joe Beth Williams, uh, Craig T. Nelson, directed by Toby Hooper and heavily executive produced and produced by the story by Steven Spielberg. The original is uh, a movie that is kind of untouchable, honestly, by most people. Uh, I agree. Yeah, it, absolutely. I mean, I think it's almost a perfect film. It's I, well, I recently watched it again, which made me hate the remake even more. 
And the reason why I loved it so much was because that family in the 80s version really felt like a real family. And it's so naturally acted, so naturally well shot. It's just beautiful. Take the 2015 version and you pretty much, it's ripped of all of its personality. There's a meager attempt at carrying on this theme of of dangerous technology and whatnot, but it's done so half-heartedly. And you know, one of the things that really annoyed me so much about it is who the hell would have a clown toy that looked like that? Now, the kids one in Poltergeist, the original, it looked like a toy. It did. It looked like a toy, like a kid might have in his room. Granted, a scary and kind of weird one, but... But the one All clowns the, are scary and weird. All clowns but, are scary and weird. But you're right. Nobody has like the horror clown right. store <laughs> where they get the most terrifying clown anybody's ever seen before the poltergeist shows up and put that in the kid's bedroom. It's nightmare fuel from the very beginning. And the thing that, that kind of galls me about this is you've got a good group of individuals working on this remake this is these aren't chumps you got sam raimi and rob tapert who produced it right sam raimi evil dead series sam and rob worked together on a number of things including the xena series the hercules series i don't know say what you will about that but and gil keenan the director of the movie was actually a writer and director of monster house which was a pretty cool cg a horror story for kids and it was absolutely it's, it's one of the really, better ones yeah, I think. It's, it's pretty damn good you got jared harris in this as one of the parapsychologist folks in it you got sam rockwell who i'm not that hot on uh i know there's a lot of sam rockwell love out there to me he's this generation's bill pullman just kind of reliable but really bland <laughs> like really bland oh i don't know oh no no okay charlie charlie's angels I loved him in Charlie's Angels. Moon, it didn't matter how bland he was, right? It doesn't matter, though. He's boring. He's, he, he was good in that, uh, the one that made everybody really angry from a Three couple billboards? years ago. Three billboards, yeah. He was great in he was really He was pretty good. He was memorable in that. But usually he's not. He kind of just fades into the background. So Poltergeist, not terribly scary, not memorable. And they got rid of the personality of that first movie, especially when you take away Zelda Rubenstein and you replace her with like Jared Harris. How could you? <laughs> like, I like Whose Jared idea Harris. was that? Like, I like Jared Harris. I like him a lot. I liked it when he showed up in the Resident Evil series. I like it when he showed up in Fringe, you know, but in here, it's just like, the hell? <laughs> yeah. Zelda Rubenstein. No, this house is clean. You can't just get rid of that. So anyway, that's number five on my list. It's a great pick. I think it's interesting to hear you say the movie is about dangerous technology because as many times as I've watched the original Poltergeist, that is never something that I took away from it. That movie, to your point, is a movie about family. And I think if the remake focuses on the influence and intrusion of technology in our lives, it probably missed the point of the first (laughs) film entirely. So I'm glad you took that bullet for me. I would say that what it did in the original was it alluded to technology being a problem, that television is a problem. And so, but in this new one, it was kind of like, yeah, well, the internet's a problem too. Hey. I would like to, if I may, give a quick shout out to the Faculty of Horror podcast that not too long ago did what I thought was a pretty interesting episode on the original Poltergeist film. I think if anybody's interested, maybe check out the Faculty of Horror 
it's really a great episode to listen to. So uh, maybe instead of watching the terrible remake, check out the Faculty of Horror. It's probably more worth your time. Definitely. My number five is actually my number one. (laughs) But I've gone on this tear so many times that I just cannot muster the energy to do it again. So I'm going to keep it brief. Fuck Rob Zombie's Halloween. (laughs) I can't believe it. I Especially the first one. Also the second one. Also anything he does ever. His Psycho Billy aesthetic sucks. He sucks. His movies suck. I mean, talk about missing the entire fucking point of a movie. It's almost like he watched the original Halloween, forgot everything that was in the original Halloween, and then made his own movie that was just disgusting and gross and stupid. But because I've walked this road before, I'm dropping Rob Zombie's Halloween all the way back to number five with the caveat that it's actually my number one. So Mike, are you going to actually preemptively toss the Munsters onto this uh, this bus of all, all Rob Zombie hatred? That I'm going to do the same thing I do with all of his movies, which is fool myself into thinking maybe this one won't suck because if the guy does anything it's he puts out great production stills any single frame of a rob zombie movie makes for a killer poster the problem is is when you flip the pages like a flip book and make a movie it's garbage and i can't stand it i fall for it every time i'm like this is gonna be the one finally i don't know why i keep allowing myself to go back to this well because it never works. So honestly, I will tell you where I checked out on this guy forever. Tootie fucking fruity. Tootie fucking oh. fruity from whatever whatever Firefly movie that was. I'm out on the guy. So we've all heard me do this a million times. We don't need to get into it again, but that's my number five. I yeah. would love to hear what your number four is. <laughs> well, number four, I'm going with a very recent one. I, I want to say it's not that I hate this movie. It's just that I'm profoundly disappointed and also a very big fan of the much reviled original. So I said earlier that there were some movies that I liked. I liked the remake of RoboCop. I'm not, that's not here, but I liked you it. Did. You really did. did. I really yeah. did. I really did. I think Joel Kinnaman was really good. I thought it was well-directed. It had interesting ideas. It humanized I thought it was interesting. Ghostbusters answer the call. To your point, it was more that Hollywood was lazy and I was sick of remakes. Sure. It was I decided, no, I'm not going to be infantile. I'm going to grow up. I'm going to watch the movie. It wasn't bad. I actually really, really, really want to re-edit Ghostbusters answer the call. Like I really There's a great movie it. in there, isn't there? There's a really good movie there. I actually don't like Gus Van Sant as a filmmaker, but Psycho, I didn't hate And I don't know why people hate it so much. I thought it was a very interesting experiment in cinema. I'll leave it at that. Suspiria thought was rather good. It's very long, but I thought it was very interesting. And I thought it was a slight improvement over Dario Argento's last one. The Thing. The 2000-whatever-it-was version of The Thing, which I thought was actually a reboot, turns out to be a prequel, loved the thing thought it was good really yeah i really enjoyed it because the whole a remake time, of a remake that's right, one of those of most people when they think of carpenter's the thing they don't even realize they're watching a remake yep the thing yeah the thing from another world i think that there's a lot of good ones out there so all that said <laughs> i don't like denis Villeneuve's dune <laughs> I just, oh man i just, I just watched don't it like it <laughs> I think I'm still watching it right now. It's still going on. Can I, I, can I just ask you a quick question? Yeah. What is happening in the movie? Because I don't know. 
Well, I'll tell you what. David Lynch made a movie called Dune in the 80s, and it was bonkers. Thoroughly and completely bonkers. But the art direction was brilliant. The cast was phenomenal. It was gross and weird and twisted. There were these, these navigators that folded space using spice with mouths that looked like vaginas. There was a bad guy that floated around screaming at everybody. And he was always getting his boils lanced in close-ups. Yeah. And oh. like he was pulling people's heart plugs. This was the great Kenneth McMillan as Baron Harkonnen, I think is what they call him. Baron Harkonnen. Vladimir I don't know any of the names. I tried so hard to understand what anybody's name was in the movie. I can't find it. I'm all for world building. I am all for Denis Villeneuve's uh, vision. But I find this version so lacking in personality, in color, in anything interesting. It is so bland and so flat. Everything is beige. The characters feel beige. (laughs) If you have managed to make Jason Momoa unexciting on screen, you've royally fucked up. Because I've seen that guy on talk shows wearing animal print jackets and drinking brandy. And it is way more interesting than anything he's doing in Dune. Yeah, that's very much the, the the problem that I have with it. It just lacks anything really, truly memorable or all that interesting. You look at Lynch's Dune and you look at, I, I think I always, I want to go back to Kenneth McMillan as Baron Harkonnen versus Stellan Skarsgård. Take these two. They couldn't be more different, right? Stellan Skarsgård comes out of the mud. He's doing Marlon Brando out of uh, Apocalypse Now. He's touching his bald head. Okay, when when Brando did that with Coppola, Brando didn't know what he was doing, and Coppola didn't know what the hell was going on either. And they just kind of stumbled onto that, right? But here, it's actually a directorial decision to mimic it. Right. And it offers nothing. And there's nothing memorable about that villain other than he's kind of pulling, he's the puppet master behind a lot of things. In the other movie, you can't ever get Kenneth McMillan out of your face because of the pustules and the weirdness and just the, the grossest. And he's always screaming at people. But then there's that weird moment when he looks at Sting and Sting walks out as Fade and he goes, Fade, beautiful Fade. <laughs> It's just so weird. You know, if you take everything, and Lynch told an entire movie, beginning, middle, and end, and he ended it. Villeneuve just goes, meh, eh, maybe we'll make part two. And then he just stops. I agree with you. It just was, it wasn't for me. And I I think Denis Villeneuve is an interesting director. He is. I don't know how you try to repeat something that David fucking Lynch has done. And I guess I (laughs) applaud him for not trying that. He certainly didn't try and make his version of a David Lynch movie. He tried to make his own movie. I think maybe I would have preferred the imitation, honestly. I think that he, he did a lot more riffing on Lynch than Lynch is getting credit for. And I know, look, I know Lynch himself kind of disowns Dune. It's a fun and interesting and weird science fiction movie that I really think is worthwhile from a production standpoint, from from a production design standpoint, from a visual effects standpoint. The shields in the original Dune, when they're fighting and stuff, they're way cooler than the new Dune, you know? So anyway, I'll leave it at that. But I just to say, David Lynch's Dune isn't as bad as everyone says, and Denis Villeneuve's Dune is nowhere near as good as other people are saying. All good points, Jason. You dropped a couple of remakes earlier in your list that you liked. I might have something to say about a little bit of that uh, in a moment. (laughs) 
But first, I'm going to get to number four. As a rule, I don't put movies on my bottom five that I haven't seen. I kind of think that's bogus. That is bogus. But for my number four, I'm making an exception. Here, I am going with all the live-action Disney movies that keep getting pumped out even though no one asked for them. Those lifeless husks that exist strictly as an easy cash grab and nothing else. I'm talking The Jungle Book, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin with the goddamn Fresh Prince of Bel-Air as the genie. I can only assume DJ Jazzy Jeff was that sassy parrot for some reason. Nobody wanted these movies. I can only assume that next we'll get 4D Smell-O-Vision where we can whiff Pumbaa's farts in our living room. I'd honestly (laughs) rather watch Tiger King again than that fucking live-action Lion King. And Tiger King gave me brain herpes. You hear that, Disney? (laughs) I'd rather have brain herpes than watch these movies. Give Pixar all of the money and then back away from the fucking computers, please. I suspect now that I dig into the back part of my brain, I feel like I remember a conversation where you told me that Pete's Dragon movie was your favorite movie that ever happened. That's not exactly what I'm talking about because that was a blend of animation and live action. I mean, these just soulless Lion King, whatever it is. No, thank you. I am out on all of them. So... Even though I don't usually list a film that I haven't seen, I'm going with this whole collection of stuff right here. That's me on number four. David Lowry's Peach Dragon is a very good movie. It's not my favorite movie of all time. It is. <laughs> it's it okay. Is I know. Very, very You're going to get the tattoo not that like Peach Dragon on your lower back. <laughs> it's going to get it on my inner thigh. It's for special yeah. people to see. But I, I have to say, I do take umbrage to the fact that you mentioned Jungle Book. Which uh, John Favreau's movie was quite good. It was very, very good. And I, I, you, this may have to happen to you soon on this show. I'm just very, kidding. very good. Two varies. Very, very good. Very, very good. But I will I didn't say, know John Favreau you're... directed that. You know, it does change my opinion. Yeah. Now I, I went from never wanting to see it to hoping I never have to see oh, it. Oh yeah. <laughs> Guess what? <pal? laughs> All right. Well, st- stick around for that. Spoiler alert: I didn't like it. What do you got for your number three, Jay? I'm too busy laughing, Mike. I don't want to continue. No. <laughs> I'm still sad about the Jungle Book. <laughs> All right, no. I'm sad about the Jungle Book, and I haven't spent any of my life watching it. I didn't pay a penny. I didn't spend a breath. I don't ever want to see it. I'll tell you that The Lion King was one of the most horrible things that I've ever glimpsed. Because I saw it at a drive-in. I didn't watch that movie. I watched a different movie. And it was on another screen. So I caught a little bit of it. And it was so paralyzingly terrible from the bit that I caught. That I'm right there with you there. But I do think that there are exceptions to every rule. So we'll leave it at that. (laughs) Did you get Pumbaa's farts in it? Were there Pumbaa farts? Is that what I want to know? Yeah. Yeah. Like a scratch-and-sniff Disney film. Something like that. It's coming to a living room near you. Uh, For my number three, I'm going with a personal favorite original that was remade into a soulless and incredibly boring film. That's Jacob's Ladder uh, from 1990. Love the original. Directed by Adrian Lyne, starring uh, Tim Robbins. The, The newer one is basically like a TV movie directed in the style of maybe a 90s slasher film, directed by David M. Rosenthal. It is characterless. It takes almost all of the themes out of the original that were interesting. 
it rips all the emotionality out of it, it replaces it with kind of soulless action. Can I mention again that it's soulless? It has nothing. <laughs> it offers nothing. The performances are vapid. They actually try to stage some of line sequences. There's a scene in the original where Tim Robbins climbs down into a subway tunnel and he's walking down. There's a lot of great visuals. And then, of course, you see what Jacob's Ladder is most known for, which is that whipping head thing that's kind of blurry. And this is that is right. the only movie that ever did it correctly. It is the mm. only time that it's ever been done right. Yet we are in 2021. And I swear to you, there are still filmmakers trying to use that technique to scare people. And it's so woefully uh, attempted and so poorly executed it, time and time and time again. And yet still people try to do it fast, fast blur head, you know, like get scared, you know, so fast it, it, blur head. Fast that sounds blur like one head. of those alternative albums that you used to make me listen to back in the day. <laughs> it's either an alternative album or a really good Saturday night. But <laughs> regardless, sure. I think that. The, what they did with Jacob's Ladder was a, was a true like abomination of, of a really good film where they just ripped out everything that was really good. I mean, Adrian Lyne was such a compelling and interesting visualist. You know, he's the guy that did Fatal Attraction, uh, Indecent Proposal, uh, Nine and a Half Weeks, Lolita. You know, he had all these sort of sexualized, interesting. Jacob's Ladder itself has a real sexual energy to it that is just it makes it both scary and unsettling. The remake has none of this. So I will say never, ever turn on Jacob's Ladder on Netflix, ever. My number three, you mentioned it before. You said you were okay with it. I'm going to explain why maybe I'm not. It uh, is on the list for me. It's Gus Van Zandt's 1998 remake of Psycho. Uh, I think this is one that's probably obvious for a lot of people. I yeah. think a lot of people think of this first when you think of shitty remakes. If your movie is the go-to example for shitty meat remakes, congratulations, you're Gus Van Zant. The problem here for me, it was a shot-for-shot remake of Hitchcock's classic with a little bit more TNA and definitely more jerking off thrown in for good measure. But otherwise, what's the point? Were audiences clamoring so fucking hard for Anne Heche in 1998 that Gus just couldn't say no? Who's sitting around being like, you know what? I'm not sure that enough people realized that Norman Bates was ferociously wanking it in that Hitchcock movie. I should remake it exactly the same way, but just with way louder jerking off sounds. Ultimately, here's my thing. When you make a movie that's exactly like another movie, just with a different cast and a little color, do you know what you call that? Practice. That's movie making practice. Like if a film professor told an aspiring student to try and remake Psycho shot for shot, I would think that was in a hell of an assignment for someone trying to learn the craft, but I definitely wouldn't expect that foolishness to get a theatrical release. I can't get worked up about it, really. It's down here on my list, I think, because it's, like I said, sort of the go-to example of a shitty remake, but I think it belongs on a list because I think the best anybody can say about it is, it was fine. That for me does not cut it when you're doing Hitchcock. So number three for me, Right. 1998 Psycho. Talk about going for low-hanging fruit, Mike. <laughs> like, come on. I, I, I think that what Psycho did and what Van Zant did with Psycho that was interesting was that when Hitchcock was making movies, he had his hands tied frequently, which made him become a better director in many respects. He Absolutely. Do, he had to get creative. He had to do a lot of things 
that to literally cut around violence to cut around that otherwise he would have shown he would have shown masturbation he would have shown he had intentions that maybe would have ruined his movie potentially and i think that what van zandt i, I agree with you it is a meh kind of exercise in cinema i do not think that it deserves the vitriol that it receives uh, i think Anne hesh did a great job she didn't blink <laughs> you know yeah there, it's not an improvement and I think that right. if you if you go into a remake, I think the idea is really that you're going to improve on something. I think it's audacious as all get out to think that you could improve on Psycho. I don't need to improve on Psycho. I don't I don't know that when a remake happens, it, the goal should be to improve. I think it should be to try and take your own unique vision sure. of the original film. That's one. And yeah. One by one. design. That's what Gus Van Zandt did not do i think because he didn't have the audacity to try something different with it it was just because you can doesn't mean you should sure i would i think some of the psycho sequels are a lot more interesting than this van zant remake my point was not that i wish hitchcock had had more jerking off in his films <laughs> i know maybe that. you're hearing me backwards i just thought maybe it was i didn't weird. say that <laughs> uh, well i i thought it was weird that the one thing that was sort of an additional inclusion like van zant could have done a lot more blood he could have done a lot of those things free of the shackles of hitchcock's time which i agree made the film better he's like no 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 no. i'm gonna keep it pretty much the same but i want the jerk enough to be a little louder i don't know it's a weird thing it's just it a weird it's a, thing you're definitely it's a weird flex like it. the kids say right the weird flex weird flex zant, but okay know. so whatever <laughs> Again, I can't get too worked up about it, but that's it for me at number three. All right, fair enough. At number two, I've got, I think, my low-hanging fruit. <laughs> that would be Charlie and the Chocolate Factory from 2005. Tim Burton, what happened to Tim Burton, right? I think a lot of people ask that, and with very few exceptions, his 2000-on filmography is painful. They're all garbage. They're all garbage. But this one, this one's awful. And I think it has mostly to do with Johnny Depp's choice to play it as Michael Jackson. And I mm -hmm. think that that was just a really tasteless and vile sort of decision to make at a time where all this truth was sort of rolling out, alleged truth, I don't know, but these accusations were rolling out about Jackson and his relationship with children. And then you're making a movie where children are going to be around this guy who's acting a lot like a spooky version of Michael Jackson. That was one major piece of that. I think aside from the performance of Depp, which I, I think when you contrast it against Gene Wilder's amazing version of Willy Wonka and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the other thing that you need to talk about with Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is the CGI. And I know that this is an old argument from people who like practical effects. And, you know, I get it. But in this case, it really... It's one of these movies that just doesn't seem real, right? You've got right. weird, weird Johnny Depp walking around, scaring kids. And then you've got Oompa Loompas that are running around. And I mean, I got nothing against Deep Roy. I just want to say it right now. Deep, Deep Roy love from the never ending story, teeny weeny. I mean, All that right. guy is the bomb, but <laughs> I don't need 30 of him <laughs> running yep. around on screen. It's very fake. The movie has wonderful production design. I realize it's more close to Raul Dahl's sort of vision. I get that. But production design does not make a movie. Hi, Denis Villeneuve. Uh, and so it's one of these things that just, it, it goes off the rails early and it never gets on. In fact, it just keeps going further off the rails. 
especially when you think about how good the original was with Gene Wilder and how fun and how interesting and how all of that set was real. I think you asked a question at the beginning. What happened to Tim Burton? You're right. The complaint about CGI is a little past its welcome now. But CGI is what happened to Tim Burton because those early films of his, Edward Scissorhands, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, those were the Tim Burton films that everybody loves. I mean, Beetlejuice is running around on like mattress egg crates and that's the floor. He was doing something with a film. And he lost all of that personality as soon as he picked up the computer. So you're absolutely not wrong about that. I'll get into it. I think maybe a little bit more in a moment. But before I do that, I would like to give you my number two. It's perhaps a cheat. And I'm saying this right now. I picked this movie at number two solely for the purposes of starting a fight. (laughs) You and I have a friendship that is based almost entirely on two things, right? Homemade guacamole and unbridled antagonism. In full awareness of this fact, my number two Mm. is the 1997 TV miniseries of The Shining made by Mick Garris. Now listen, listen, listen. I know exactly what you're going to (laughs) say. It's so much more faithful to the book. Nicholson was too unhinged from the beginning. Stephen King hated the original. I get it. You love the miniseries. Listen, now I would like to say that in the absurd six fucking hour runtime, there isn't a single scare in the entire series. But that wouldn't be entirely truthful because having to watch Stephen fucking third billing and wings Weber act for six hours of my life is an actual living nightmare. Like, here's the scene. You ready? Here's the scene. It's hopefully many, many years from now, Jay. I'm old. I've led a good life. I'm on my deathbed getting ready to pass onto the great big concession stand in the sky. I'm surrounded by my family and the people who've loved me. They're weeping as they say their goodbyes. You're long gone. Uh, You know, I mean, obviously long gone, mostly because of how angry you are. Maybe one of your adorable sons is there paying their respects on behalf of your family. My beautiful wife is there holding my hand because she's definitely going to outlive me. And it's time. I'm ready to go. And with the last of my strength, I motion for everyone to lean a little closer so they can hear me. And with my final remaining breath on this earth, I whisper, I wish I hadn't wasted those six fucking hours watching Steven Weber act in The Shining. And then my hand goes limp and I die. That's right there. Everything you need to know about the Shining miniseries. I die. That's it. (laughs) So please tell me, tell me about how it's more faithful to the book and all that stuff. Let me hear it. Let me hear why it's great. No, I don't need to. I I don't think that that's what makes it powerful. I think that there's a heart to the story that makes it powerful. I think the characters are better rendered in the story. I don't think that it's faithfulness as an adaptation makes it a better movie than Stanley Kubrick's The Shining. Stanley Kubrick's movie The Shining is a better cinematic experience. It is made by an artist. <laughs> I'm glad we cleared that up. That's a whew, but, good thing we got that but out. But there of the is way. nothing wrong, there's nothing terribly wrong with Mick Garris's uh adaptation for television, especially considering it was made for television. Is it too long? Yeah. 
Yeah. Is the kid kind of annoying? Yeah. Rebecca De Mornay makes a, a really good Wendy. Is it in any measure really cinematically even approach Stanley Kubrick's? No. And I'm not going to argue with you about it. Is it more faithful? Yes, it is. I don't really care. Which one do I watch more often? The Kubrick one. But which one do I forgive? I forgive Mick Garris. This actually was a setup. I've, <laughs> yeah, I know. I've caught you in a trap that you I did. set for the listeners because I just uncovered something about you that I know well that I want them to know, which is the <laughs> thing that you care about more than anything is the story. I am somebody who very much, yes. I like the performances. I like the direction. I like all that. You above all things. And this is to your credit. I mean, this is a real compliment. <laughs> you are somebody who cares more about the story than anything else. You have raved to me about films that you love that I have watched and have identified as complete garbage, but you make a powerful argument for why the story works. Yeah. And that for you is this, the beginning and the end of everything. So yep, I went with is. this as a little bit of a setup, a little <laughs> bit of a cheat. I, I'm glad that we clarified that Kubrick's film is better. That's good. <laughs> We were very close to losing our, all of our listeners right here. They're like, if this motherfucker says the miniseries is better, I'm out. And you would have killed our podcast before it got started again. I don't like everything that Kubrick does. I think he's very clinical. I do not like Clockwork Orange at all. I can't watch Barry Lyndon all the way through. But I find that The Shining is hypnotic. It is thrilling. It is interesting. And Jack Nicholson is way too much. And I think that some of what Steven Weber does is good. I do. I, I don't think he's totally terrible all the way through. I do think that he was in a little over his head. But anyway, we'll leave it at that. We'll leave it at that, Mike. Thank you for setting that up. I think I played both sides of the fence as much as I could. I, I thought for sure we were in for like a 10-minute Rebecca De Mornay is unbelievably gorgeous no, thing. What's the point? You're right. Actually, <laughs> I, mean, what's the point I will say it was day? nice to have a blonde Wendy. I'll give you that. <laughs> Because that's important. Uh, so I, I like the way that you set that up. It segues directly into my somewhat controversial final pick. Number one on my list. And I really do hate this. Uh, especially when I compare it to chapter one. And that would be It Chapter Two from 2019. Andy Machete's wow. piece of crap continuation of his rather faithful retelling of the Stephen King yeah. story. I didn't even consider this when I was thinking about remake. 100% a remake. No, it is. It, did, it didn't occur to me at all. It, you're absolutely right. All I will say is that the thing that I spoke about at the top of it all with Poltergeist was the kid having a clown toy in his room that no human being would have, right? Like, no one. Right. Who the hell is going to go up to Bill Skarsgård's version of Pennywise? Now, get this. I am now skewering two Skarsgårds because I just did it to Stellan Skarsgård from Dune and now I'm going after Bill Skarsgård right now. And it, as Pennywise, he's unapproachable. No kid is going to take a balloon from him. Every kid that sees him is going right. to run. I know that the, the costume design now is very iconic and whatever else, but Tim Curry in the 1990s version represented an approachable clown at first silly kind of funny and then rah, out came the teeth i will say that the tone deaf opening to it chapter two where a gay couple is walking and homophobes attack them beat them within an inch of their lives 
one of them falls off the bridge into the water and then is captured by Pennywise. It's and that's pulled very opening. sort of faithfully from the novel, I think. That, not quite, not quite the same. And I, and I felt like it was too punishing. It was too much. It set a horrible tone that first 10 minutes, but there's a line that he crosses. And, and it was funny is it's when he's being really faithful, right, to King's material. But then in chapter two, he really, he just got lazy and all of a sudden everything was CG. Like the Crab Rangoons? Like the Crab Rangoons. Stuff. Why would you so, do that? Right. Why would you? And you had a really good cast, but did he have as good a cast as the 1990s one? I mean, we're talking John Ritter, Richard Thomas, Harry Anderson, Annette O'Toole, Tim Reed, Dennis Christopher, and Richard Mauser. I actually think this is a great pick, and I'm a little disappointed that I hadn't thought of it because I love the King novel. And isn't it interesting? We were just talking it's before really about uh, The Shining and how, you know, the miniseries is faithful to the book and the film isn't. And here we are kind of the opposite of that, where mm -hmm. I, like you, was shocked at how much I enjoyed chapter one because I was prepared not to. I mm -hmm. have a really special place for the It miniseries with Tim Curry because due to my age as being just so much younger than you, I was, <laughs> I was a younger person closer to the age of those children when I first saw the miniseries. And so I could identify with the kids in that miniseries. I read the book. It's my favorite Stephen King novel, even though it's a mm -hmm. cinder block of a book. <laughs> he just lives in the world and takes his time to set the scene and all of that stuff that I felt like the first it did as well. Mm. And you're right. The second chapter, they just kind of bailed on all of the hard work they had put into the first chapter yeah. and it was disappointing. Yeah. There were some decisions that were made that I liked. I did like the cast. I don't understand why after the biggest complaint of the miniseries was that goddamn terrible spider at the end. Why Andy <laughs> Machete thought still. I need to have I need to have a CGI spider at the end. The end of the book <laughs> is lunacy. There's yes. no way you could depict it on film in a way that uh, isn't no nuts right so right. i don't envy anybody that tries no but after such a winning first chapter to then as you say just give up that's what really makes it chapter two so poor. i couldn't agree more i'm i'm glad that you thought of it i'm glad we had this discussion because <laughs> it didn't even cross my mind but i i have all the same feelings about it so good for you speaking of having the same feelings <laughs> my number one with a bullet and I feel like if I didn't have this here, our listeners would turn off immediately, unsubscribe, never listen again, and they'd be right for doing it. Because without question, my number one is Tim Burton's Charlie and the Chocolate Factory oh. with Johnny Depp. Oh, wow. Jason, I recognize that I'm prone to hysterics. <laughs> I exaggerate. I bloviate. Generally speaking, I freak the fuck out about everything. Mm. In this case, I feel entirely comfortable and well within my rights to say that this movie is the biggest pile of inexcusable shit I have ever seen. We all know the go-to Willy Wonka bit that the Chocolate Factory is like some kind of twisted H.H. Holmes murder castle where kids <laughs> go in and they don't come out. We've all been down that road. You're right. It's widely accepted that Depp was basing his portrayal of Willy Wonka on Michael Jackson, which begs the question... What the fuck was he thinking? Mm. Why? I understand, you know, the man trapped in a child's body. Dude, read the room. It is not appropriate. Yeah. I don't know how far we were removed from the Jackson trials. It was a bad idea. It was wrongheaded. It shouldn't have happened. 
Johnny Depp and Tim Burton have worked together so much that there's no one in the captain's chair flying the fucking plane. They're just running all chuckle house in the back of the plane, farting in the barf bags, <laughs> while the rest of us are screaming in terror as we plummet to the earth. It's the same reason that those dreadful Alice in Wonderland movies exist. Oh. It's like Johnny Depp's doing his thing. Tim Burton's doing his crazy CGI thing. And nobody is stopping to ask, hey, how's this going for you? And so we get what we get. When the star of your movie is as thoroughly absolutely and unyieldingly fucking creepy as whatever the hell Johnny Depp was doing, absolutely dismantling every bit of charm and dark humor that Gene Wilder brought to the original. I feel obligated as a citizen of planet fucking earth to make that film my number one. Am I wrong? Have I, have I gone completely off the deep Roy deep end? What is happening? <laughs> so insanely vitriolic. And yet I'm, I am there. I am there with you. I'm not disagreeing with you, man. it's time for us to move on to something that we call our staff picks uh, after we've talked about all these movies we hate we're talking about movies that we like and what uh, there used to be for people who don't know is in <laughs> video stores they had a section where you would put things that you recommended for other people to rent it was called your staff picks i feel like maybe the kids these days should know about the staff picks right <laughs> it's a thing yes it's, it was a thing that the great idea for this one was to talk about movies that we love and that we wouldn't mind seeing be remade because we only get one pick. We get to watch five that we hate, but then we <laughs> talk about one that we like. <laughs> so actually, Mike, I, I'm going to let you go first this time. Oh, how incredibly generous. Hey, it, it, you know, I'm a gracious guy. I think what I would like to see remade is a movie from my childhood that I loved. I watched it a ton when I was a kid. I've watched it fairly recently and it, it doesn't hold up for me quite the same way it did back then, but there's so much potential in it. It really is a little bit of its time in a way I think it could use maybe a little bit of a modern update. I love the original Flight of the Navigator. Oh, It's a movie that... I want everybody to watch the original Flight of the Navigator. I think it's a great little film. I love it. It's not quite a classic. It's almost there, but not quite. The vocal performance from Pee Wee Herman. Yeah. The tone is a little weird because sometimes it's silly. Other times it's really very dark. It's wrestling with some ideas about, you know, this world has moved on. The, the main kid didn't age, but his whole family did. So now his little brother is his older brother. NASA is menacing. Howard Hessman is great in it as the exploitative lead researcher. I really like the original Flight of the Navigator. I think it would be a pretty cool film remade. You know, you get the right voice to do the Pee Wee Herman I, I would role. get it. I would get Paul Rubens again. I'd just get him to do it again. Yeah, do just it again. get him to do it again. He's yeah. not doing anything else. That's fine. He's available. <laughs> we could probably pay Paul Rubens 350 bucks on Cameo and get him to do the whole movie again. I think that would be fine. It's worth a shot. 
But I love the original. I think it's that's my recommendation for everybody. Watch Flight of the Navigator. It's a great little film. It's it's funny. It's exciting. It's got some really neat ideas. A very early appearance by Sarah Jessica Parker. Yeah. And some twisted sister in there too. It's it hits this weird '80s sweet spot that isn't nostalgic. Doesn't quite work. Can I tell you who directed it? Randall Kleiser. Do you know who he is? <laughs> I Randall don't. Kleiser directed Grease too. <laughs> oh. Yeah, and Big Top Pee Wee. <laughs> Okay. He's, a, he's an interesting dude, I must say. Uh, I like Flight of the Navigator a lot, and I think that's a great, great pick. It's an awesome movie to watch as a family uh, if you have young kids. Um, there's nothing too scary, nothing too weird. It it has a really neat time travel sort of thing that goes in it that's right. very, very interesting and very creative from a story standpoint. The kid's performance is outlandishly good. He's like, very good. Really, really. Like. Henry Thomas gets all the, the 80s child actor performance love. But that kid, I wish I had his name off the top of my head. I don't. But it's a really good performance. Yeah. Great, great pick, Mike. Um, my pick also, going back to my childhood, obviously decades and decades before your own. Yep. Cave paintings chiseled yep. chiseled onto the wall. This is <laughs> this is fantasy stuff. It's got a cyclops. I'm gonna let you guess. It's got a cyclops. It's got uh, bad guys called slayers. It's got a princess that gets captured by a creature living in a black fortress that comes in and out of reality. It's got a giant crystal spider. It is uh, from 1980. I think everything happened in 84. I'm sure it's not. It's probably 83 or something like that. It's Krull. It's Krull. Peter Yates' magnificent action adventure set on a planet called Krull that is never actually named in the film. So it's named stupidly. I would remake this movie in a heartbeat and I would add somewhere in the line of dialogue that they live on a planet called Krull. It has... Lots of great characters, really interesting world building. It's got a lot of good adventure, but it's very stilted. It's 80s. I mean, it's got some rough special effects. It's also got some pretty scary looking monsters and stuff like that. The Cyclops, though, when I saw it, I was watching it with my kids recently, and it just occurred to me that the Cyclops would be brilliantly played by none other than The Rock, Dwayne Johnson. Oh, yes. Oh, my sure, God. And considering, this, considering the story arc of that character, you wouldn't have a dry eye in the house. We'll leave it at that. Krull would be an excellent remake. If you want me to screenwrite it, call me up. I'm here. I'm ready. Let's do this thing. It feels like maybe Denis Villeneuve is going to mess that oh, remake up any day now, right? Like, was, oh, let's, why did you let's have Let's give to him say- the other bonkers space epic thing. <laughs> With personality. With personality. What a great pick. You know, I know that I've watched Crawl probably back in 1980, whatever it is, is the only year you know. And I don't think I've seen it since, so I probably need to do a Crawl revisit for sure. Yeah, great. I, I hope so. I think we've made it. We've brought the episode up to our big reveal. It feels good, Jay. Film Jitsu feels back to be back in the driver's seat and, (laughs) you know, flip all the switches and hear everything kind of jump back to life again. It feels like we haven't really missed a beat. And here you are. It's your first day. So it's exciting. (laughs) Now is the time. The good stuff. We're getting Uh into it. Here we go. This is the portion of the show where... I reveal to you what film you are going to be watching for our upcoming episode, our first proper episode. Big moment for you. I hope you're ready. (laughs) I don't know that I am. 
It's been almost a decade's worth of shitty movies since the last Film Jitsu episode went out. I feel a tremendous responsibility to give you the worst shit I can think of from those past 10 years. Our next episode is our true return to form, and so I have to throw a haymaker, a knockout punch right away. Damn. I'm also terrified that if I don't do this, you're going to make me watch this movie soon, and I'd rather stick my face in a bowl of scorpions than watch the movie I'm about to give you. Our first full episode back, you'll be watching a film from 2019. It's directed by a man who won an Oscar for Best Achievement in Directing. It has Hollywood royalty like Sir Ian McKellen and Dame Judi Dench. It has some of Hollywood's best tough guys in Ray Winstone and Idris Elba. The problem is that it also has digital cats assholes. Oh, you son of a That's right. For our next episode, you're watching the runaway Razzie winner from 2019, directed by Tom the King's Speech. Hooper, you're watching Cats. You're watching cats. I didn't think I was going to die this early on in the in, in the podcast's run, apparently. This is it. I couldn't start out with something easy like Greenland or something. No, he had to hit me with <laughs> When we first did this show, our very first episode ever, The World is Our Oyster, every bad movie ever to choose from, and John selected... Jungle to jungles for some fucked reason. I don't know. So I feel a real responsibility to to go for it this time and kind of make up for that. What were we thinking? First ever episode. Cats. Right out the gate, cats. And so it's important that now we figure out what is our bottom five going to be, right? It seems like the easy thing to do would say bottom five cats. Oh, okay. (laughs) I thought you were going to say buttholes. No, I actually am because it's going to be bottom five assholes. We are doing bottom five assholes. I was kidding. Oh, no. Bottom five assholes. Not literally, though. Do what you will with it. Don't tell me not literally. I'll do what I want to do. It's for you to decide. We each get our own list. But for our next upcoming episode, you are going to be reviewing the movie Cats. And we will do our bottom five assholes. I'm ready. And I, I'm, I'm going to do this with my, my chin held high and my tail held higher so that you can clearly see. Your cat's asshole? Yeah. How much asshole I have. Yep. This is also a little bit of an homage to one of our all-time great movie-watching companions, your old cat, Cody, oh, my ride-or-die film-watching nice. buddy, uh, who showed me his asshole more than anybody else on this planet ever did. So uh, this is a little bit of tribute to the Code Man. I am really excited. Next week, cats are bottom five assholes. Jason, <laughs> thank you so much for bringing this crazy show back. It Absolutely. is a clown car of a podcast. I'm thrilled that you're on board. We did it. We made it. I'm happy to be co-pilot. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I've been Mike. I am Jay. We'll see you next time. Nope. Fuck. See, there we go. God, it's, hey, it's been 10 years. Give me a minute. <laughs>